Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. Good morning, everyone. It's Monday, uh, October 3rd, 2022. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and uh, Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. Start that over. Good morning, everybody. It's Monday, October 3rd, 2022. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is my weekly economic and market commentary for the week beginning today, Monday, October 3rd, 2022. As you probably read in the headline, uh, we are turning tactically bullish on equities. And we expect now that the bottom uh, has been uh, had by the equity markets last week. It was no fun, I can assure you of that. Uh, but we do believe for stock prices now that brighter days are ahead. We're going to get into that in today's uh, commentary and, uh, and podcast. Speaking of podcasts, as you know, this is available um, as a podcast as well as with slides. So if you're looking, if you're listening to this, you can get any of the podcast formats. The name is Slaying Bulls and Bears. We try to make the complex and complicated simple and sensical. Everything you're seeing and or hearing is prepared by us for use with you. Whether you are a financial advisor or an investor, you are expected to make your own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation is investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. It's purely for informational purposes only. Nothing shall constitute tax advice. And with that, let's get going. We had a washout in equity prices again last week and bond prices for that matter. And while this bear market is not as deep as some other bear markets we've experienced in my 35 years in the business, it was particularly challenging because we also got a commensurate sell-off in bonds. If you look at the, the, the um, Barclays 20 plus year treasury index year to date here down 30%, it's actually fared worse than the equity indices. Now, if one was in shorter duration and shorter maturities than that index or shorter duration of maturity than the aggregate bond index, which is a better indication indicator of the overall bond market, we've done significantly better. But red is red. Nobody likes it. It is part of investing. We have to go through those red times, months, quarters, sometimes even years in order to enjoy the green uh, or the black times. So let's get into what's, uh, what's happening. Let's take a look at some of the economic data, and then we're going to transition right into uh, a bunch of graphs on why we're turning tactically bullish here and getting excited about equity prices. FHFA house price index uh, for July fell six-tenths of a percent. That was more than expected. That is disinflationary. One of the themes, one of the reasons why we're turning bullish, we believe inflation data has begun to roll over hard. It's not reflected in the CPI data yet. We all know the CPI is a lagging indicator. So we look to other indicators to tell us where the CPI is going. Things like house prices, 
which, which work into things like owner's equivalent rent, which are very important within the CPI, are turning lower. You can see it here with FHFA. Same thing from S&P K-Shiller, July K-Shiller Home Index, Home Price Index fell 0.44%. That was more than expected, still up high year over year, but this is the directionality we're looking for to sort of make that all clear call for equity markets. New home sales surged unexpectedly in August, 29% to 685,000 annualized pace after declining steadily for the better part of two years. We don't see this as particularly noteworthy other than the fact that we think there's some anticipation of higher interest rates yet to come, which may turn out to be unfounded in the end, uh, and buyers raced in, we think, to get and lock in before uh, the anticipated higher rate hikes. So that was new, new home sales. Pending home sales fell 2%. Estimate was for a minus one and a half. They're down 22.5% from a year ago. That was that, you know, interest rates were essentially near zero a year ago. How much have things changed in the rate and real estate market in the last 10 or 12 months? It's really quite amazing. One of the things I've been consistently saying is that I'm not calling for a recession, or if there is a recession, it's likely to be very shallow, very quick. What's happening here is we're adjusting to rate normalization. We, uh, when you have a recession, biggest indicator of a recession is job losses and declines in consumer spending. Uh, companies you know, can't sell product, massive layoffs. That's simply not happening. Last week's initial claims for unemployment, this is people filing it for the first time, fell again, 193,000, well below the estimated 215,000. So if continuing claims are below 300,000, you are not going into a significant recession. We're actually below 200,000. Jobs market remains robust. Job openings far exceeds the number of unemployed. If anything, we're inspiring innovation and technology to replace some of these unfilled positions with, with mechanized technology. Okay, and consumers finally starting to feel a little better after declining, declining, declining for the better part of almost two years. Consumer confidence rose as measured by the conference board, 103.6 to 108. Why? Jobs are plentiful and gasoline prices have come down. Now, if you live in San Diego, we're not getting that the way the rest of the country is, but the average retail price of gasoline has gone down to about 380 a gallon. We're still in the, in the sixes here in uh, Southern California, particularly San Diego is, is even worse than the rest of Southern California. Present situation component rose there, so we're happy about that. University of Michigan sentiment also seems to have bottomed and is starting to rise again. Rose from 58.2 to 58.6, a little behind estimates Current conditions rose, same thing, plentiful jobs and lower gasoline prices. Uh, in terms of the positive contributor to GDP, we had a really good trade deficit report. I'm gonna move my little red dot so you can see it there. That's a pretty significant improvement. It fell from 90 billion in the month of July um, to uh, 87.3 in August. That was better than expected smallest deficit in uh, in a year since October of 21. Why? Well, the supply chain log jams are easing. Strong dollar 
lowers the cost of imports. So if you've got supply chain unjamming, that lowers prices, shipping costs getting lower, and the dollar is just so incredibly strong. And wh why is this important? The formula for GDP, right? Consumption, strong, plus investment, plus government spending, C plus I plus G, plus exports minus imports. So if your imports, if your imports are 110 billion, like they were back here, that subtracts 110 billion from GDP. If it shrinks to let's call it 90 billion, that's a, that's a big $20 billion swing in, a, in a, for a month. That's a strong positive to um, GDP. Speaking of GDP, second quarter, uh, revised number came out last week again, unchanged. So it's a revision that was unrevised. I guess I should say that. And you see here we had, it was minus six tenths of a percent. Two quarters negative. That's a very colloquial definition of a recession. Uh, I, you know, output is fine. The consumer is fine. Jobs are fine. I don't consider that a recession. If you do, that's okay. You can define a recession any way you want. I'm not, uh, I'm not being political in any way here. I'm really trying not to do that in, in this, but uh, I don't see this as, as a recession. And the Atlanta Fed GDP now tracker, uh, you remember they said there's, there's multiple pieces, right? And when you have government spending go down because we're ending fiscal stimulus, and if that makes GDP negative, I don't call that a recession. I call that a good thing. We're getting off of the support, the monetary support. We're getting off of the fiscal support right now, all of which is, is a positive. Within that report, service spending was revised higher significantly. Spending on goods, however, was revised lower. Okay, so is, is, the, is GDP exploding to the upside? No. But as I said, watching that Atlanta Fed GDP tracker for the third quarter, and now we're rolling into the fourth quarter, uh, things to me look pretty good. Uh, it looks like the Fed's hiking cycle can likely end soon. When I say soon, late first quarter of next year, that's you know six months away, but um, that certainly is on the, on the horizon now. Speaking of things that really matter in a recession, personal income and personal spending. That is key. Here's 10 years worth of personal income and spending. You see that spending indicator, the red line going way below zero, right? The little, you know, we had a couple of bad months here, but overall strong. Personal income in August rose three tenths of a percent. Personal spending gained four tenths. That was double the estimate. Again, how is that a recession, right? How is a recession if people are losing their jobs? How is there a recession if there's just not this massive glut of goods and services and no demand? There is no lack of demand. The recession we created in 2020 was, was, was wrong, of a policy mistake, but we created a supply recession and then we responded to our own artificial violent intervention into the marketplace with excessive monetary and fiscal stimulus. So we cut supply and increased demand that's a recipe for inflation. All of that is being backed out of the system now. So that's a recipe for disinflation. And we kind of don't want to admit it or accept it, but it's happening and it's happening aggressively. So that's personal income and spending. Personal consumption expenditures or PCE. This is the Fed's inflation gauge. 
that disappointed in August. So that's one of the reasons we had that capitulation and sell off in the markets last week and say, well, the Fed's going to have to keep hiking rates. But I, I think that was a very superficial analysis. Every indicator is turning, almost every indicator turning lower. This one's not. As I said, CPI earlier is a lagging indicator. So is core PCE. So even though August PCE rose three tenths and core PCE rose six tenths and now sits at 4.9 year over year, we believe the peak is in. And I believe CPI and PCE in the coming months are about to roll over hard. That can provide a tailwind for equities. And my pretty high conviction, it's a pretty high conviction that I have right now that we're gonna get this uh, this rally, strong rally higher uh, in equities. Okay, so uh, Chicago PMI fell into, into contraction territory, 45.7. Uh, that would be a negative report on the week. Taken, taken in, it makes sense that this capitulation came. So let's get into some of these uh, graphs and I could put up 20 more. I'm gonna give you quite a few this week, uh, but really most of the technical indicators are suggesting the bottom was in. Uh, this is a piece that came out of Cantor Fitzgerald Research this morning. Uh, we've turned tactically bullish into the fourth quarter amid really many bottoming signals, technical as I like to say. We had a very significant washout in stock prices in the month of September, which culminated and peaked last week. In the month of September, which was the worst month of 2022, in terms of the percentage of stocks that had a negative return, it was 90%. And in my, in my career, in recent history, 35 years, it was one of the 10 worst months for percentage of stocks in history. It ranked seventh, actually. Uh, and when 90% of stocks are down in a month, it almost always indicates the end of a bear market. That's that washout capitulation uh, that you see. On the right-hand side here, this is 15-day a moving average of S&P 500 advancers. You can see it way down here. These are usually the marks of bottoms when this happens. Big washout, forced selling, levered players selling, uh, those kind of things. Just like you get peaks where short sellers have to cover. This is sort of the, the inverse. It is not sort of, it is the inverse. And then we show here uh, previous periods of this, where was the market 20, 40, and 60 days later? It's not 100% of the time green, although for 60 days it has been. Going back to 08, you can see pretty significant moves higher here, 60 days out, which would put us, you know, right around Thanksgiving, a little bit past Thanksgiving, moving into the Christmas holiday um, season. So that indicator is flashing, flashing bottom. Another indicator flashing bottom is the percentage of stocks trading above their 200-day moving average. Less than 13.5% of the names on Friday uh, after the close were above their 200-day moving average. This is a classic oversold short-term indicator, suggests strongly that positive returns may lie ahead. And I will, I will put, talk about the notable exception here. Late 2008, complete insolvency of the world financial system. It actually took about four more months for the market to bottom. If you remember like November of 08, uh, voting down the tarp, market tanked, and then the market continued to consolidate and really it was horrible. But then in March of 09, we bottomed and we all know that the market ran significantly higher from there. Other bottoms in this level 
all saw broad stock market rallies in the coming months. And I think that's likely to continue. Uh, I think that I don't think we're going to have an 08 where we have to wait another three or four months for the bottom. Uh, we had on September 23rd an all-time high. This is all-time high in put volume. Puts are option contracts that investors purchase to buy protection against downward moves in stock or index prices. They could buy puts on the S&P 500. You do that instead of selling your position to avoid the tax. If you have a long built up position over many years, you don't want to pay tax. You buy these puts, you ride through the thing, you close them out for a profit. That offsets the loss in the position. It's like an insurance contract. When these get to very, very high levels, that's, that means that the most people are worried about declines and the most people are buying insurance. And that's a contrary indicator suggesting, again, bottom may, may, no guarantees here, folks, may uh, begin. The other thing that's happening is that the inflation bubble is deflating rapidly. As I mentioned, you haven't seen it in CPI, you haven't seen it in PCE, but you will. This, uh, this graph right here, uh, it shows exactly that. These are break-evens, five-year inflation break-evens. We're at 370 back in March. They're now at 215. What that means is that a very highly liquid U.S. Treasury market, the most liquid market in the world, which includes Treasury bills, notes, and bonds, as well as Treasury inflation-protected securities, the preponderance of the, of, the, of the people playing in that market right now, the equilibrium view is that inflation is going to be on average 2.17% for the next five years. And that's dropping quickly, as you can see. Remember, the Fed's target is not 0% inflation. It is two. We're essentially right there. And I expect that number to get back down to two very, very quickly. The other thing, as I mentioned, this inflation was demand-based, right? I mean, supply-based, excuse me, supply-based inflation. We, we, we disrupted uh, the naturally occurring biological, if you will, world economy with violent intervention uh, in reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic. We caused uh, the bear market. We caused the inflation with our, with our meddling in the markets. And now that we're getting out, things are starting to normalize. So the supply chain is a good example. Here we show uh, retail inventories in the United States. Not only have we taken care of the problem where there was nothing in inventory. Remember, you know, I had, I think I talked to you two years ago about I wanted to order golf balls and it was a four month wait. That is taken care of. In fact, the opposite is now true. We're hearing from retailers. We heard it from Nike last week. Um, retail product anyway, uh, that they had a glut in North America. We're hearing it from the retailers. We're likely to hear it in the earnings season that's coming up. Uh, and that is going to put downward pressure on prices. More supply means downward pressure on prices. These are very high inventory levels that we're experiencing uh, right now. The other, one of the other things that was driving up the cost of everything was just the cost of transportation, freight costs, putting things on ships and getting them over here. We had the backup in the supply chain. So shipping costs skyrocketed, right? You can see them just down here all the way below 2,000, shot up to 10,000, all the way back down to four. They're going to continue to decline. That is leading 
the CP, CPI and PCE are lagging. This will work its way into the CPI and the PCE. And of course, the Fed knows this, right? But what the Fed can't do is tout this, right? The Fed has to jawbone we are, that we are on our game and we are on the job to fight inflation. They're not gonna point out, hey, there's a lot of indicators suggesting inflation's about to come down. That would not serve their purpose. They should be doing exactly what they're doing, which is telling you, we're gonna keep raising rates until inflation uh, comes down. The other thing that's disinflationary is the, is the year over year growth, the money supply as measured by M2. We have normally, you know, if you're gonna grow your economy, you need to grow your money supply. That's just, you need more money to facilitate a larger and larger economy. And our economy essentially grows every year with a few exceptions. Well, to try to stimulate our way out of the COVID related pandemic, we way overgrew the money supply, right? 25% year over year money supply growth will do one thing every time cause inflation. It did that money supply growth now is rapidly, rapidly decelerating down to about 4%. So you don't hear me say this very often, but my conviction level is very high uh, for equities right now, for at least for the next quarter or so. Um, and so if I'm right on this very high conviction call about the CPI aggressively rolling over, then I'll be right about uh, the reaction of, of equities. CPI uh, peaks above 6% have not happened very often. We had a CPI peak above six in 1970, 1974, 1980, and 1990. So it's been 32 years since we had a CPI peak at this level. And these peaks generally, those four instances, have been followed as long as that it doesn't stay at 6%, it rolls over and the Fed is clearly doing their job, mandated by law, CPI is coming down, that will be a tailwind and propel equities higher. Um, other indicators that equities may be going higher. Well, CTAs, commodity trading advisors, highly advisors, highly lever levered players in the market, big movers of the market, right? The, you know, us buying and holding and being conservative long-term investors, we don't really move the market, you and I, but CTAs in the aggregate certainly do have a much bigger effect than uh, we do. Um, and they are positioned uh, incredibly low equity exposure. Well, the next thing from low equity exposure is higher equity exposure. Higher equity exposure means buying. When they make that move, probably in the coming months as they see the CPI roll over, likely to drive equity prices higher as well. Other bearish readings have peaked suggesting that this market has bottom. This is the highest bearish reading by the AAII, American Association of Individual Investors, that is you and I, and we're bearish, right? I can tell you you're bearish because when the market's screaming higher, you don't call me. But when the market's screaming lower, I get a lot of calls, a lot of requests for meetings, which I love and I'm happy to do and I appreciate because sometimes my job is just to calm you down. Uh, but we went from a reading of 20 middle of 21, bearish, right, to a bearish reading of 61. And the last time we were anywhere near this level was the global financial crisis. You can see that early 2009, which did mark the bottom and the stock market rallied strongly um, from there. In addition, now stocks are not 
ridiculously cheap. And I don't think they ever will get ridiculously cheap in this cycle because we're not having this big, bad, ugly recession. We're fixing pricing issues and we're normalizing monetary policy. And they've gotten down to a, a, an 18 current PE and more importantly, a 15 forward PE. That being said, earnings season starts next week. We're going to get the financials. We're going to move into the industrials. We're going to get the techs. And if I'm running a company, I can tell you if I've got a chance to, to write things off, write things down, lower expectations, this is the quarter I'm going to do it. Why? So that I can over deliver coming out. So could you have a rocky October, November? Could I be wrong about that stock price? Yes, I can always be wrong. If I am wrong, it's going to be because the market is reacting to companies really trying to write off and write down the things they can now get better comparisons in the future. Uh, I think that's very possible, but the downside's pretty limited here compared to the upside, in my opinion, with a 15 forward PE. Uh, even though earnings estimates have come down and they probably will come down a little bit more during this season, I do think uh, the, the risk reward is just very, very favorable towards stocks uh, at this moment. Lots of data this week, uh, S&P Global manufacturing PMI as, long, as well as ISM coming out this morning, construction spending, auto sales later in the day today, factory orders and jolts job openings on Tuesday, then it's the beginning of a new month. So we get the jobs reports. We get ADP's report, consensus there for 200,000. We're gonna get services PMIs from S&P and ISM, weekly claims for unemployment yet again. And then the big jobs report, non-farm payrolls, 250,000 is the S estimate. All of these data look pretty good. And I, as I said, we have turned bullish and we hope, we think the worst of this bear market may be behind us. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.